Hey guys, welcome to Tito's and the Tea. I'm Gloria. I'm Eunice. This is a podcast on sex and relationship, but with our own decolonial spin on it. What does de- what what do we even mean by a decolonial sex and relationship podcast? Decolonial in the sense that we're existing in a post-colonial space, so we are people of the diaspora. Our brown bodies obviously have their own racial racial representations, their own kind of stereotypes imbued upon them, and we're kind of moving away from that space. So a really good way to read up on that is Homi K. Baba, who's got this fantastic book called Locating Culture, and he talks about what if the post-colonial body or post-colonial people saw themselves outside of a dialectic relationship, so colonized, colonizer, oppressed, oppressor, who we, are we in this liminal space where we can differentiate, ourse- differentiate ourselves away from just whiteness or Western society, who are we as people? And I think that's where we're kind of coming at from a decolonial focus that locates us within a geography, a history, a time and a space, but also within our own bodies and within our communities. That was hella academic. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we're going to look at ourselves today, who we are as women, how that's been influenced by the history of colonization and neo-imperialism that continues today. Uh, we're going to look at how relationships are formed, how they continue to be, um, how relationship dynamics are influenced you know, <laughs> by cultures and stereotypes and representations and all the kind of things that we exist in and that we haven't had real conversations about growing up or have people in our lives to help us through those conversations of what it is to be a brown woman, a person of color, a queer person of color um, and all of that kind of stuff. And that's exactly why we're doing it, because there's such a huge gap um, at the moment in this discourse. A lot of the sex and relationship Uh, A lot of the sex and relationship podcasts are run by white people, um, and the times that they are run by Asians, it's usually an East Asian perspective, and they don't really get into the decolonial bits that we want to to explore. So that's Titas and the Tea. Titas and the Tea. Gloria, what's the tea? Um, Nothing much. So basically, I'm off Tinder and Hinge. I'm single as fuck. And I truly and thoroughly enjoy that. I got a fresh ass haircut. I'm a stay fresh as fuck. With You're this. a completely different person. I know. I went from beta butch real quick. And I'm about it. Um, and it was really nice and freeing. I think if you asked me why I cut my hair, I'd be like, oh, sick of it. But deep down, I think a part of it was I was kind of sick of people thinking my beauty was held in my hair. And I think growing up, um, my mom was so attached to my hair and she wouldn't let me cut it. So the first time I caught it was the first time I left home at 16. Um, And like all the partners I had, you know, would be very vehemently like, do not cut your hair. And I think for me, coming into this space of myself and shedding my skin in a really kind of cocoon butterfly way, it's been really nice to reclaim a part of myself that's just for me. And I feel really beautiful for myself for the first time in my life. Um, So that's where I'm at, just sitting in my grace. Snap, 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 snap. Or like, mm-hmm. no, no. <laughs> that is some obscene shit. Eunice hates R18. it. Um, so we're both at a really unique time in our life where we're both single by choice. I'm also off Tinder and off Hinge and all the apps, and I have been for a while. And I think we were talking about this the other day as we were walking through Hyde Park, how for me this time is a time for clarity, but also a time for me to heal in private. 
and not heal in a performative way where when I'm in uh, the way I usually do when I'm in a partner where I try to prove how not fucked up I am oh I hate that I hate that exhausting oh yeah it's performative bullshit so I'm just doing that for myself now which is really nice and yeah hang around people I trust but I also feel like this distance from the dating world is also going to give us more clarity um, as we talk about dating bullshit and as we answer other people's questions. On dating bullshit, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because when Eunice and I were talking um, about dating, she said this She said this thing that I'm like, girl, this is too much. She's just like, do you think they just like people are together just because they're lonely? And I was like, damn. Mm-hmm. Yo. Because I was thinking about that when I was cleaning my room. <laughs> when, bitch? When, you know, I just be getting like thoughtful when I be cleaning my room. Um, and so out there I was like, when you ask someone, right, and about their partner, it's always the same thing. Like, you hear the same thing over and over again, right? Oh, you know, they're just meant for me. Oh, we're so much alike, you know? Oh, it's just, it was just, but we just meant to be. Like, we met here. We met through friends. We did this, this, and this. And I'm just kind <laughs> of like. I didn't hear that at all. All my friends met their partners via Tinder. Oh, really? So none of that. We were meant to be bullshit. Oh no! It's I, mainly like we settled for each other. <laughs> <laughs> we settled for each other. We were lonely. But I think what I'm trying to say is the narrative that goes behind why are you dating? And I find that couples really narrate that and they craft that in a way. Then I find that so interesting that why do you have to justify that or why do you have to tell me a story? It's, you know, it can be that simple. But. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think when pe- when couples, well, I think I'll speak primarily about the women who I've heard uh, tell those stories, I feel like they tell themselves these stories and they tell their friends these stories and then they then they, they then try to mold the reality to that story. Yes. Even though those yes. two do not reflect each other. And it's just like, from the outside, you can see it so clearly that it's just clearly not a good thing. Yeah, no, I definitely see that as well. And I think it's been really interesting to be young and single because I feel like you always hear the narrative of, be young and available yeah because I think dating is so much a part of this kind of thing of being 23 22 being in your early 20s you know fall in love and get your heart broken and do all this kind of stuff and it's never it's never about yourself it's like never why about don't yourself. you develop as a person first correct why correct. don't you become a full well-rounded person and get over your damn trauma before you bring it into a relationship and have a relationship exacerbate it Exactly. And I think that that's really a really important conversation to have when you're young and you be gorgeous yeah, and course. talented Don't and intelligent <laughs> and just that bitch. I know. Like, why is everyone just being like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and perky titty years on some mm. fuck boy. No. Perky titty years, bitch. And, you know, even if you don't have perky titties, your titties are beautiful titties. Titties are titties. All your titties for life. You know, why waste them with somebody? Do you feel? Mm-hmm. You got to thirst trap yourself first. <laughs> Before anyone else. Love your titties first. You don't have to get your titties sucked on. Suck on them yourself. Look, Lizzo said, I'm solo in Soho, drinking soju in Malibu. It's the me, myself kind of attitude. She also had this line in one song. Once I was a hoe. I don't, I don't even want to hoe no, no more. more. <laughs> that's us. <laughs> but that's because because I love you. But I like to think because I love you is about. Uh, but that's me. so fucking toxic as well. 
Like, I'm crying because I love you. What the? That's why I'm going to make that song about me. Okay. Yeah. I also Aww. like Jerome. Jer- that I want to fuck a dude named Jerome. Mm. Just so I can be dramatic and be like, Jerome, <laughs> go the fuck home. Mm. <laughs> Come back when you're grown. <laughs> I want to fuck a dude called Eric. I just want Eric. I don't know. It was just some little mermaid baggage. Hey, Eric. Do you know there's that meme going around that's like, have you heard of like horse girls? And then you have like people that are like really into ponies. Mm-hmm. And then you have like adults that are super into Disney. That's Isn't that. that most adults? No. Or is it like weird, but we on are the weird, weird adults. We are the weird. Yeah, we are the weird adults that are super into Disney. Is that just like every Filipino then? Yeah, yeah. No, a hundred percent every Filipino. So you know that's our that's our catch up. Mm. That's it, friend. That's our tea. Our tea will change every every episode. More tea. No, it's just gonna be about Disney every every episode. Disney song. <laughs> <laughs> I can show you the world. <laughs> Don't you dare close your eyes. <laughs> Yo, if someone took me out on a date and they're like, close your eyes, I'm uh, no. running. <laughs> Run, bitch. Um, do you want me to move into our next segment? Yeah. Which is decolonial tea. Today we're going to talk about pre-colonial matriarchies um, in the Philippines specifically. Um, and what that means, uh, briefly about what that means today and how that's translated into today's society, uh, today's government, 2019, all that bullshit. So we're going to be talking about pre-colonial matriarchies. And I think what we mean about pre-colonial matriarchies, to be very specific, is a time before the Spanish came and kind of changed those dynamics around. Um, if we want to talk about power dynamics that people are familiar with today, you would talk about patriarchy. And matriarchy, not in the sense of oppression or hegemonic gendered structure, but what was uh, pre-colonial Philippines, Philippines like for women and what has kind of changed since then or what can we identify as something that's switched in that dynamic of colonization and for what purpose. So this is a huge topic. So um, one way of focusing on it is to focus on one of the roles that Filipino women, um, whether they were cisgender or transgender, played in pre-colonial Philippines. Um, And one of those roles was uh, as a babaylan. And a babaylan is a, uh, what's in the West, you would understand it as a shaman. So someone who had very unique spiritual powers and a very deep connection to nature. And that's where they harnessed their powers in order to heal, but as well as to guide their community. So they, they would often be chosen to be shaman by people in their community. And most often they would be female. But another really interesting political, on a political level, uh, what's interesting is that the power of the babaylan actually rivaled the power of the datu. Um, should we explain what a datu is? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, I wouldn't... Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think a babaylan would kind of make the decision to be like, we're going to war for this reason, mm. or we're going to do this for this reason, and the, the datu, or the chief, mm. um, I guess in English would be the closest thing to that wouldn't go ahead unless they got the uh, Babaylan's blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there were, there could be multiple Babaylan's in a community. And of course, that all fucking changed when the Spanish came and once they introduced Catholicism. Uh, they would do shit like 
completely destroy the ritual instruments of the Bai Bai Lan, um, you know, do really gruesome shit. I don't even know, should I even mention it? Uh, probs not. Oh, but they would like fucking burn Bai Bai Lan at the stake. They would yeah, have young witches. boys. Yeah, yeah, they would call them witches. They would have young boys defecate on Bai Bai Lan. So uh, because um, the Bai Bai Lan were seen as satanic, and their practices were seen as unholy and impure. Um, a lot of those practices have gone into hiding or are not as well known now. Of course, now in the Philippines, there are still babaylan in different communities, whether um, they're indigenous or not. But it's not a pra- uh, their practices aren't as well known as before. Oh yeah, um, there is a babaylan in uh, that's been recorded in obviously Spanish history that the Spanish conquistadors were very afraid of her because her hair could control the weather. <laughs> That's lit. Yeah. Yeah. I fucking love that shit. I do too. It's just kind of like, she was that bitch, you know? She was climate change before climate change. She was the original <laughs> X-Men bitch. You know what I mean? She was like, oh, you guys come into my house. <laughs> Don't even take off your fucking shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me wash you, you dirty motherfuckers. <laughs> Y'all need a rinse. Yes. Um, so I think it's nice that some of those stories have stayed around because I think there are modern iterations of Bob Island and I don't think they ever went away. No, no. Um, and I think it's really powerful to just remember that. And to kind of build on that note, there is a modern center for Bob Island studies. Where? Uh, it's in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to talk about that because it's kind of really important when we talk about decolonizing ourselves and not just even the frameworks in which we exist or our mental attitudes, but it's just kind of our biases in the ways that we've grown up in this world and to kind of reshift that and actually say, hey, are these things passed down and do they affect the way I think about myself and how I treat other people and how I navigate in this world that is capitalist and post-colonial and all that kind of bullshit. Just like, where can I come into myself that Mm -hmm. feels like it's community-driven and culturally-driven and away from a capitalist space? So what I mean by that is just because you're in subtle Asian traits, you know, that's not culture. It's very capitalist. Drinking boba isn't culture, bitch. Like... (laughs) Subtly, subtle Asian traits is very East Asian and East Asian-led. Yes. And almost no Filipino narratives. No, 100%. And it's very, it's culture driven by capitalism. Um, and I think that's what the problem is because it's not talking about language. It's not talking about diaspora. It's not talking about those experiences mm-hmm. of race or even critiquing what it is to move socially upward. Um, that was a segue. But my point being was uh, Center of Violent Studies is talking about the kind of going back to pre-colonial notions of freedom and the self and identity and religion. So on that note of pre-colonial freedom, I was reading about, and I don't know how trustworthy this is, because this comes from the chronicler of Ferdinand Magellan, who was the motherfucker who basically fucking invaded the Philippines. So when they landed in Cebu, um, Ferdinand Magellan's chronicler, an Italian dude called fucking Antonio Pigafetti. These nuts. These nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, his job was to write down all the atrocities committed by Ferdinand's crew, but it was also to be like a fake ass anthropologist, totally untrained. 
But there's no such thing as a trained anthropologist. Ooh. Them bitches didn't give a fuck. And I say that as someone who's got an anthropology degree. Bitch, you have Europeans, a sociology degree. I have sociology and anthropology. Oh wow! Um, Academia. Yes, and so that's why I hate the term untrained and trained anthropologist because that didn't exist as a notion of science. It was literally just white people who thought they knew shit because they hated brown and black bodies. Okay. Let's get real on that. Yeah, sure. Anyways, this anthro feeling dude. He's so feeling, you know, very feeling. He was writing about the sexuality of Cebuano people and he recorded he recorded some stories about uh, a, a pre-colonial kink device that was used by Cebuano men and he described it as having as like it entailed some sort of piercing that went through the base of a cock you know, from one end to the other, mm. and it would be attached to this wooden instrument that it'd have spurs, so like spiky little instruments, I don't know how, like they honestly had to have video cameras back then for me to believe this, or to even like properly conceptualize this. Um, but okay, based on this dude's accounts, the men would have sex with the women, um, and the, uh, the reason why men would have sex with the women this way, using this device, because is because women wouldn't have sex with them if they didn't have this device on. And so he would penetrate the woman with a flaccid penis and the penis would then, you know, be engorged inside of her. Um, and then they would just like, fuck, whatever. <laughs> but the thing is, it was at the woman's command that the man would disengage, um, that the man would disengage from her vagina along with that device that was on his cock. So a woman could come as many times as she wants and then just be like, okay, fuck up. I'm done. I'm going to eat out Get of out. here. <laughs> Straight up not having a good time <laughs> after this. Bye. You can go home now. <laughs> yeah, that was just an excuse for me to talk about <laughs> sex toys. Okay. Just Sabana men and women having a good time. Yeah. You know? But I am... Uh, I just wanted to find some non-colonizer accounts of pre-colonial sex toys just fuck a filler dude or chick you know? aren't we all sex toys <laughs> are we all sex toys to this modern porn industry which fetishizes filipino bodies mm. anyway um so there's a modern center for violence wow um <laughs> <laughs> okay. you, you just you just mentioned it yeah and um no i wanted to kind of talk about okay. uh dr lenny strabel because we got that substance you oh, know wow that wasn't substance okay you know go on go on um well she doesn't talk about cock she actually talks about decolonizing as a spiritual path okay yes it's and important it's, a, it's really important and it's also uh, a youtube video which you can kind of look up about that and she kind of talks about the repressive nature of colonization when it came to religion and the ways that you kind of are forced to be presenting presenting your spirituality and yourself in a way that's very strict and very you have to do this and you have to be a man in this way you have to be a woman in this way and I think if you look at biblical notions especially about those particular gender roles I don't think they necessarily applied to pre-colonial Filipino cultures because there was so much fluidity within genders and within those gendered roles and she talks about decolonizing your spirituality in order to be freer in your identity and yourself especially when it comes to fulfilling gender but also how you treat your family and your partners and it's a really great YouTube video where she actually discusses that in a lot more depth but I think it's really important to talk about modern 
um, concepts of papaylan and spirituality that adheres to pre-colonial and post-colonial um, people who are in diaspora and as well in the Philippines. And we'll include the link below. <laughs> okay. We like on that digital shit now, okay? We'd be real like that. Yeah. Just follow us yeah, on the socials. Us. All these hyperlinks. Yeah. Um, so do you want to talk about the personal bit? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so like on a personal note, um, a lot of Filipino households are ruled through matriarchies. Um, let's talk about what growing up in matriarchies taught us. What I think, what does matriarchy mean to our, to our households? Okay. So, um, I guess let's do it on a more, pro- uh, let's talk about it on a more personal note as well. And, um, talk about what matriarchy means, <laughs> and um, talk about what matriarchy means in our own lives and um, in how we grew up. So I grew up. Um, I was raised by a single mom primarily, um, but I also spent time with my grandma, who was hella widowed, twice widowed. Um, <laughs> but when I was growing up with my grandma, she was single as fuck. But basically, the point is, two single women raised me, um, and I was uh, I was growing up around a lot of aunts who were also single or widowed or cheated on, and that wanted nothing to do with their husbands. So in the Andrada family, it was all women taking care of the children, women taking care of the money and making the decisions. And what that taught me about feminism and what it means to be a woman or a Filipino woman today is that uh, control is just the default for me you know like I can do all this shit I mean see my mother was working as well as taking care of five kids because there was no male figure whatever um in the household so she was doing all that shit and she was shouldering a lot and still being able to thrive and still being able to be her own full person um beyond just being a mother she was also you know she was also still able to attend to her own spirituality, um, to her own hobbies, and still able to build communities outside of her own family. And I think just seeing that growing up um, has been really inspiring um, in terms of what I can achieve as a woman outside of being a daughter, outside of being a mother or a sibling. There's so much more that I can be um, and so much more that I have control of outside of the, outside mm. of the domestic yeah. What did you learn? Um, I think my household was very different because I did have a dad, but he wasn't present. And I think my mom really carried the family in terms of, you know, making sure that we're all financially well, that we're all looked after, that we're all fed. And there's a lot of things that my mother hid from me, my sisters, that I only kind of know in hindsight or had an idea of, of growing up. Because I grew up really poor. Um, and there were so many times growing up there I realized that my mom really tried to hide that from us or find other avenues to make us feel okay and make us feel safe whereas my dad wasn't so present um, in the nurturing and the caring front and even the, prov- the provision and I think that was was really hard is for example like I, I think I, I had a lot of resentment to my mom because she wasn't always emotionally there and it was kind of difficult for me to reconcile that yeah she was a provider and she did care in the ways that she could but because she had to do everything else, there wasn't a lot of space for her to be emotionally present or to be nurturing um, in the way that she really wanted to be. Because I think back at home in the Philippines, every time I go back, her family has so much respect and so much regard for her 
and I never understood why she always sent money back home. Because I was like, yo, I'm going hungry, fam. Like, what the fuck? And then I was like, no, everyone at home is hungry as fuck. So it was really hard. Like, my mom was looking after, like, my family here, like, my sisters and stuff. And then her family back at home. And we're talking, like, seven siblings. So that's essentially seven different families. That was really carried on the back of my mom. And I obviously didn't know these things growing up. So there's a lot of respect that I have for her now, being a little older. Because she never asked for help. She controlled a lot of things that she could um, and that she needed to, and she's very responsible, and I think I'll always look up to her for that because she does what she needs to do, and I think that's where I kind of came from. But in the offset of that, right, because you spoke about control as well, Eunice, and um, for me, I find this so weird, is like I realize that I trust people or I care about someone or I decided that I have so much love for someone if I let them take care of me. Oh, yeah. Right? I've been looking for that. Yeah, because, <laughs> because like, you're so used to, like, from a really young age, looking after yourself mm-hmm. or, like, immediate family or other people. And you see it in your, you know, your very close emotional family spheres where they're looking after people in a way that's so meaningful. Yeah. Okay, so this segment is your tea. Your tea, yeah. So these are legit ass audience questions yes, that we got. From online. you dumb bitches who are about to get red for filth. You are going to get roasted. What's the first question? So the first question is, should you look fly on a first date or look deliberately average so you don't produce high expectations? Oh, this is so tough, right? Because every time I've gone on a date, I've deliberately looked hot as fuck. Exactly. Right. Me too. But then it's exhausting. But not like, okay, so yeah, totally exhausting, which is why um, on first dates... I look above average, so, like, when we go somewhere, nice night. <laughs> so, so, you know, you got to whip out a surprise every now and then. So I, I try to look above average uh, the first date. And then once I'm invested, um, I'm going to – and, like, something huge happens if we're going to a special event together, if I'm going to see my man, like, play. <laughs> I had to see one of them play in a classical – uh, in a classical music show they were playing for an orchestra so I had to look nice for that and I had to like step it up to like 150 instead of my usual 100 so you know you got to whip out those surprise looks every now and then what do you do um just consistently 100 it's a, I think it depends I think that for me I wear whatever I'm comfortable in because I like dressing up like if I go out for dinner or I'm I've planned an occasion whatever that event is I like to like dress up for fun because I I don't do it often because generally speaking like I don't really wear a lot of makeup um I literally wear thrifted clothes like this is you know straight out of bitch I don't believe you (laughs) these shoes are free I got this for five dollars okay and this is like a fifteen dollar shirt Eunice like come on okay well you're talking to the to like a fifth of five kids who has clothes from their first sibling but whatever. <laughs> no, like I'm, I'm fine. Um, cool. yeah, no, I like I enjoy. Oh, sorry, sorry, girl, <laughs> girl, you dumb yeah, girl. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. Um, I enjoy dressing up for dates and events if I know in advance. If it's like a last minute thing, like I just want to be chill in my in my linens, just having a good old time, my trackies, whatever. I fucking hate that. Really? Like, I fucking hate surprise dates because I do like. I do like looking put together. Like, I don't as much as possible. Like, I try. 
I try to look put together. I try not to be wearing weird, like a weird kind of pants that day if it's a surprise date. But um, like on the topic of makeup, like some people are not worth it, you know? And like I have very acne prone skin. So I always oh, have too. to like ask myself, is this person worth tomorrow's acne? And the answer is often no. The answer often is no. But I think to go back to that point of like, is anyone worth putting so much effort in beauty wise? Like, I feel like it's not for yourself. Mm, yeah. Then what is it for? And I feel like that's such a hard thing when you date, right? Because you want someone to like you. But then it's like, for what? For what, bitch? Because you want to look traditionally attractive for the other person. But you want to also feel good for yourself. I think that's what a lot of my early dating was for. Was yes, I feel To that. feel wanted and to feel good in myself. Yeah. Damn, I should have just looked inside. <laughs> oh, I'm just like, you should have just looked inside. <laughs> But I think more importantly, like, should you just up for a day to look average? I think you should go in whatever makes you feel the most beautiful for yourself mm-hmm. and makes you feel the most confident so that when you meet this person, that you are your most authentic or your most genuine or the, your most confident self. Like, you are the most beautiful in your skin and you shouldn't do that for somebody else. I think, like, for me now, like, I feel like if I were to go on a date, I would go in whatever I felt confident in, knowing that, like, yes, it's cold as shit outside. I'm not going to wear a dress. I'm going to come in completely layered up because I'm comfortable and I love my own skin, bitch. That's how everyone should go into a date, right? I like that. I feel that. (laughs) I support that. Go in whatever makes you feel the most beautiful Mm -hmm. because that's going to come out anyway when you meet someone Mm -hmm. new. Yeah. No, I feel that, definitely. But also know that I will not look the same on the second and third day or when we're like five months in. Nope. Yeah. No, it's not going to happen. But yes, for the first date, do you. For the first date, do you, 100%. Because, like, what are the chances you're going to have a second date? Zero. (laughs) If you're me. (laughs) But also, like, yeah, I think I tend to generally dress up the same or look present myself the same way whether it's a hookup date or just a first date so yeah dates dates are dates gloria okay this is this is exactly how this how this next question was worded you going for a (laughs) you going for a boy who eats pussy or nah um see what needed to change about that question is eat pussy good or nah you know what I mean because you can eat my pussy and be shit at it and I gotta lay there and not hurt your feelings and I used to do that a lot when I was younger but now I'm just rude as fuck so if you eat my pussy shit I will literally be like stop me too like I will literally say stop like you don't know how to eat pussy and there's been times where people have been genuinely offended by that and I'm like I'm genuinely pretty my clit has just been not off bitch like (laughs) my clit is inverted yes she went into hiding. Mm. So, yeah. Not about just eating pussy, but eating pussy well. Mm. How about you, Yoon? Definitely eating pussy well. But also, of course, you know, a boy has to eat pussy. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, should be a default setting in all heterosexual men or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm really weird. I really enjoy sucking dick. I, I enjoy giving, so like I enjoy sucking dick, and I that's enjoy eating pussy. That's why they call pussy. it a job, okay? <laughs> it's work. It's real it's work. work. No, you but I, I enjoy giving more than I enjoy receiving. Wow. Yeah, I get off more on that. So whether I'm sucking dick or eating pussy, like I get so much pleasure 
over doing that rather than receiving. And I'm very particular about the way I like to receive. So even then, it's like, if I'm hooking up for someone for a first time or like a, a fuck buddy situation, it's very like we're doing training courses, bro. Like, wow, you can't just one. like turn your brain off. Like when you're getting your pussy eaten. No, like it's been a few times where I've, I've really enjoyed having my pussy eaten. But even then, they never to the point of like extreme climax. And even when I want to, it's just like you gotta read my mind and shit. Like mm-hmm. I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. Like I've had really great pussy eating experiences. But I still think that no one can get me off better than I can get myself off. Yeah, true. For right? sure. I think in terms of like teaching people how to eat me right, um, like I do teach, like if it's a one off thing, I will correct you, but I'll invest more time in emotional labor and like actually training you to do it well if like I feel like it's gonna be a longer thing, like a longer term thing. Yeah. Mm. No, I agree with that. Mm. But you know, all 2019, fuck long term anything. <laughs> cuffing season is done there's no such thing as cuffing season it's every season is do you bitch you know the thing like i noticed that most of my relationships have started in the summer and ended in winter mine's the opposite yeah mine's starting in the winter during cuffing season during cuffing season and then (laughs) the summer yeah damn or like right before spring and i'm like I wrote a poem about it once. Am I ever gonna be loved after spring? Wow, really? Yeah. Can you can you read that? You read that the next episode? No, I was like, <laughs> is it on a Google Drive somewhere? No, it's on my laptop. Actually, it's like on my laptop right now. Read it. Can you? No, no, fuck that. Please. Okay. Why would I shame myself like this? Um, <laughs> you don't even have to try. Next question. Okay. <laughs> next question is, what's a low key turn on? Ooh. Because I know. Because I actually like really thought good about kissing. Fishing. Yeah. That for me, like, if I don't feel it, it makes it really hard for me to want to have sex with you. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I can be so, so, so attracted to you, like, physically, mentally, emotionally, all the kind of attractions. But the first time I I kiss you and I don't feel anything, if I don't feel like I'm going to jump you right then and there, I already know sex is going to be something, like, not great. And I like kissing and sex. So, for example, like, we can be fucking, but if we're not kissing, like, I just don't get the same amount of pleasure. Oh, yeah. I love kiss fucking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just like really romantic fucking? Yeah. Like pretend you love me, please. Uh so I have a list we can go back and forth. But so I focused for this question I focused specifically on low key as the active word. So oh, low key thing. Yeah. Yeah, like, but a lot of people don't on. say that. I feel like a lot of people will be like, Oh, low key turn on. People will Open just be like, to interpretation. Well, um, I like okay. Yeah. Are we going to be real about this? What? Okay, so I feel like a lot of people don't think kissing... Okay, yeah, maybe people do think kissing is a turn-on. But if you want to get weird about it, I really like spit. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So now you want to shave me, bitch. I like getting I am, spit on. I'm not... Oh, okay. Yeah, straight I'm up. Like, okay. Straight up. No, like, okay. There you go. So, I like spit. I like slobbering on dick, <laughs> pussy, licking people's faces. I love saliva. But, like... Anywhere and I everywhere. I have a bad experience with it. Like... A dude asked me, like, like, do you want me to spit on you? And I was, I thought he was going to spit on my pussy. But the motherfucker spit on my fucking face! The fuck? That was fucking unconsensual! And I fucking... Oh. That's so wild. And then he was like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. I thought you, th- I thought you meant, like, yes on your face. Like, you never fucking said that. Fucking dumbass. Like... 
That's so That's funny. why we ain't together anymore, Lorenzo, among other things, among other reasons why. But <laughs> this one time, oh my god, I was um fucking this dude and he knew he knew i don't know how he knew but he knew i was into it i don't know we didn't talk about it but he knew he was like you can spit on me and i was like yo where yes. did you spit like in anywhere? his fucking mouth if someone <laughs> yes and that's what was so no. good eunice that's what was so hot because so like sorry. there was no context where like we we're looking at each other and then he was like looking at me and then i was looking at him and we just gave each other the eyes and then he was like you can spit in my mouth if you want and then that was like the hottest thing bro like mm. i was like this is oh how did he know how did he know i was into that shit wow okay look i'm really glad for you good for you you asked Not me to low-key turn on i went with pg no, yeah i guess like no I just you want to like fucking kissing. you know you know what i had for my low-key turn what? on one of them Please fucking emotional intelligence isn't that from 100 to zero real quick emotional intelligence That's gets your low, pussy wet it does especially it's when like, people hey, Eunice, no. talk about your feelings no i like it when men talk about their feelings when people when men especially say things or preface their sentences with i feel like or i, I really feel this like do you know sociopaths do that no <laughs> that it turns it's a low-key turn you can on learn okay. if you're a sociopath or a psychopath you can learn empathy in order to engage with people don't derail don't don't derail, I don't derail turn it. on. it's fine i know i kink shamed you but like don't don't <laughs> but like fine i wasn't kink shaming i was just expressing you know, some my, people like my own spit on and my some own people like listening to feelings disgust <laughs> there wait <laughs> vulnerability is a fucking it's, it, vulnerability is a turn on okay really that shit freaks me out if the someone's fuck? very vulnerable to me i fucking love that first... shit no i hate that because wow. i always think like if you're if we're in a first date and you're too vulnerable with me i just think you don't need a date you need a therapist you need a mom <laughs> yeah yeah okay so like vulnerability with some with boundaries of course okay yes okay, yeah for sure yeah not on a first date. Like, please don't tell me all your life dramas on the yes. first date. And also, don't tell me how much you hate your ex-girlfriend on your first oh, date. Oh, hell that no. That shit, I'm always, every time I hear it, I'm like, I'm just going to yeet out of this conversation real like, quick, bro. You're not like my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> or like when, when guys say, so this is like the opposite of a turn on. Like, this is a red flag. When guys say shit like, my ex was so crazy. Yeah, that's a red flag for me What well. did you do to make her that way? Yeah. She wasn't crazy by default right uh-huh yeah what's the next question that was it those three questions oh yeah keep going what's your low-key turn-ons um i oh um this is gonna be so wild would you know when you have like really <laughs> good freaky ass sweaty ass sex mm-hmm. right um i love cuddling not like what okay let me let me just get into this when I'm the big spoon, and the only reason why is because I like to smell the sweat in, the, like, the back. Like, in between, like, the shoulder blades. Is there a specific scent that's yes. emitted from the yes. shoulder blades? Yes, because What's the, it the like? sweat pools in that mm. back area, bitch. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, it smells mm. so good. It is, next time you fuck someone, do yourself a favor and smell that back region. <laughs> Scents is really important, okay? If some- you are a six but you smell good, you can go from a 6 to a 10 real quick. I don't like cologne. 
but just a little bit. If a no. man smells like bergamot or um, patchouli, oof. No, I don't like any. I do not like cologne at all. I like love natural you like, scents. Because like I want to know what you want to <laughs> smell like. I don't want to know what people Because, like, okay, like this is really fucked kind of science thing. But, like, you can find out so much about someone's compatibility yeah, with you depending like on sex. chemistry and shit. Yeah, and that's why I don't like cologne because it's misleading. Because if I... If, Look, I'm a fucking if, catfish, okay? I just like misleading people mm-hmm. and making them think they're chemically attracted to me. I can usually <laughs> tell whether someone's attracted to me if they comment on my scent. Mm. Because, like, um, like for example, one slivers I used to date was, like, hated my smell. Like, hated my smell. It was not meant to be. Yeah, and I, I, I like, I flagged that. I was like, what? It was so weird, because he'd comment on it every single time. And then one person I was dating was like, you don't smell like anything at all to me. He's like, you smell neutral. And then I had another person I dated that was like, you smell amazing to me. So I was like, it's really weird. Yeah. Damn. So, basically, you have to smell nice to the person you're dating, and they have to smell nice to you. Yes, but that's why I hate cologne. I love That's why cologne. I like that back sweat. Bitch. If you have, give me your back if you smell like, sweat. <laughs> if you smell like bergamot or patchouli, or I don't know, some, just slide into my DMs. If you're into fragrance oils like I am, slide into my DMs. Okay. <laughs> um. So that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for listening to Tita's and the Tea. Follow us on social media. We're on Instagram. Slide into our DMs with questions. We're going to be posting regular updates, regular call-outs, and regular call-outs for questions, maybe even some competitions out there. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? We don't even fucking know yet. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Titas and the tea. <laughs>